0: How do we walk as Christians in our daily lives? The letter of James offers us practical lessons on what to say and what to do as Christians. That's why at Bellwether we're doing a series on James and we're calling it Our Walk. Because we want to walk by faith. We want your Christian faith to change your walk. Pray together. Heavenly Father, we can walk by faith as we know you have been so faithful to us. I pray you would open the eyes of our heart to see all that you have given us uh, in this life with friends and family, with church family, with purpose, with power in your Holy Spirit, with the people of your church the Savior in Jesus so often we just don't realize all that you have given and how you have been faithful to us awaken us help us to truly see all that you've done for us in Jesus forever and for today thank you again for these that are here I pray that they would be awakened more this morning of the mercies that you give us. We love you, Jesus. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. If you would, take your Bible and turn to James, James chapter 4. If you're using our Bibles here at the church and you're welcome to or you're welcome to take one home, we give away Bibles here at Bellwether. It's on page uh, 1012 and 1013. I'm going to be reading James 4 verses 1 through 10. And if you're just joining us, we're doing this series on James called Our Walk, because James is uh, arguably the most practical book uh, or letter in the Bible, and it tells us literally how to do this thing called our Christian faith, how how to walk this walk. As I've said, the Bible tells us to walk by faith, not by sight, and I believe that faith changes our walk, our daily walk. Over the last couple weeks, we've talked about walking in trials, walking in temptation, serving the tongue. We talked last week about walking in wisdom. And today, we're generally going to be talking about walking in humility, uh, something that we all need to hear. Uh, However, we're really talking about a life change. And you're going to see this, I hope you see it, in the progression of this passage that I'm going to read. James 4, start with verse 1, going to go through verse 10. James 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says, He yearns jealousy over the spirit that He has made to dwell in us, but He gives more grace. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Uh, Now, to be honest, this is really a pretty challenging passage. It says some tough stuff uh, that we will get into. But when we're talking about our walk in this series, we're really meaning how to walk with God being the center of your life. And so often, and I'll use myself here so you don't have to feel bad, but so often as Christians, and James is talking to Christians, uh, we walk with God on the sidelines, or on the edges, or at the margins, and we do our thing, and we say, hey, I got God, because that's my fire insurance, but it's really like my life, and I want to live my life, and and God, I I need your help every so now and then, maybe when I face illness, or death, or bankruptcy, or, or, you know, some of that bad stuff, but really, we're in the center of our life. And this passage, what it actually is showing, and we're going to go through it again verse by verse, is the progression of a man of the world, and I'm going to use man here, okay, a man of the world moving to a man for Christ. Man of the world to man for Christ. I say man because, well, I mean, it's kind of general humanity. But I do want to focus on the men here. We talk about men being the spiritual leaders uh, of our family. And you know, my wife reminds me personally, so again, don't feel too bad here. You know, if I focused as much attention uh, on leading my family spiritually as I did, well, let's see, leading my job, as in church, or as much attention as I focused on sports, you sports fanatics out there, or uh, hunting, uh, you hunting fanatics out there, you know, that would change our family dynamic more and more, right, sweetie? Yep, she's a big smile there. And so, I don't know if some of y'all are tracking with me men, but, you know, there is competition and drive in our work, uh, and there's love and passion for sport and sportsman-like stuff. And if we use that same passion as spiritual leader for our families, or maybe just our, like, spiritual life in Christ, it would change our lives. Just saying, okay? So we're going to talk about men, but generally talking everybody, people. You know, humanity. But this is showing a man of the world moving to become a man for Christ. And it's all about humility. That's where it ends up. But we have this challenge of living in this world where there's so many drives and competitions and love and lusts and sins. And yet, Jesus calls us to be in the world and not of it. He actually says, we'll put the scripture on the screen, John 17, 15. He's praying for his disciples. So he's praying for us now. And he says, do not take them out of the world. Leave them in the world, but they are not of the world as I am not of the world, Jesus says. So this is like the, the missionary tension. Because if you're a Christian... We believe you're a missionary. That doesn't mean you have to go off to far-flung places. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. And the missionary tension is, how do we live in this world and not be fully of this world? James has some advice for us. Let's look. Again, we're going to go through these ten verses, starting verse one again. What causes quarrels and what causes fights amongst you? Is it not this, that your passions... Are at war with you. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Let's stop there. You know, every fight, whether it's personal, a relational, or global amongst countries, it boils down to we want our own way, we want our own deal. And James spells it out right here. Why do you quarrel and fight amongst you? You don't get what you want. And we want what we want. You know, I I one time heard an interview with a famous journalist. I'm not going to name his name. Y'all would probably, or some of y'all would know him. And he said this about presidents, presidents of the United States. And it was a very interesting comment. He said, presidents have to have a certain level of sophistication to get what they want. It's like to get what they want out of Congress, to get their vision across. And, you know, I've thought about that, like sophistication, meaning like, you know, you get what you want, but you don't seem too ego-driven. And you have to be, and some of you know what I'm talking about here, you have to kind of be cultivated and sophisticated to get your angle and get your desire in, yet not seeming too prideful. It's like this, and this has happened to some of y'all. Here's how y'all relate. It's like having the dagger stuck in your back, and the person that you know did it, comes out and their hands look totally clean. Anybody ever had that happen to them? I see a few folks nod, maybe a few amens. But that is this, this way, and certain people have it and do it. Maybe our world calls it sophistication. To get what you want in spite of other people. And James, you are talking about this. We, Oh, and by the way, it happens to a lot of youth too, those youth that are out there, the daggers in the back. James saying, you quarrel and fight, you desire, do not have, so you murder. Now, these are people even killing each other. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Uh, A guy named G.K. Chesterton, you've heard me say this quote before. He said it early in the 20th century. He was a, a writer and preacher in London. And a newspaper there asked, you know, what do you think is the problem of the world? And he said it very clearly and plainly. The problem with the world is me. Can you say that? Can you say in an argument or conflict, I mean, really and really mean it, you know, I was wrong. I I, I was wrong. It's hard to say. It takes humility. Can we see inside ourselves, the problem with the world is us and wanting our own way. Uh, There's a book that uh, I want to start reading, and you're going to love the title. It's called, uh, this may sound familiar, Mistakes Were Made but not by me. Sound familiar? Everybody ever say that? Instead of saying, I was wrong, I'm sorry. See, a man of the world, this is where it starts. The man of the world knows how to get what they want. They're not going to say, I'm sorry. And if they do say they're sorry, it's usually for some type of manipulation to get what he or she wants. And here's where we start, the man of the world. Man for Christ realizes the problem with the world is me, is us, is the pride wanting our own way. Man for Christ will willingly and openly say and mean it, I'm sorry, I was wrong here. A man for Christ, you know, calls God into relational conflict. Anybody out there in relational conflict? You don't have to raise your hand. It might be between another church member. By the way, James is talking to the church here. So this was conflict going on in the church. Man or woman for Christ says, God, I invite you into this relational conflict. And I want you to be the judge and not my DA. Tracking with me? I want you to see this. Speak to me. Have you invited God into the conflict in your lives? Have you invited God into conflict in personal relationships? Men and women for Christ do. Move on. Uh, Finish verse 2. Get into verse 3. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James here is talking very clearly about prayer. A man of the world, men and women of the world, they just simply don't pray. But here's, here's what they think. I mean, why pray when you've got the resources and the Rolodex at your disposal? I mean, why pray? That's not going to get anything done. Money and leverage. And again, Rolodex said, Who you know? That's what get things done. Yeah, we might pray when, you know, life slips out of our hands and we can't control things like cancer or death. But the other stuff, the little stuff, why pray? Uh, Brother Joe back there, Joe, you didn't know I was going to highlight you. We were praying for the service. He's like, Man, pray for my van. And I was like, Man, God bless you. God love you. He's got problems with his van. That may just answer your prayer right now. That I spoke it out. Anybody, mechanics here? But he's like, Man, pray for my van. Do you pray? Men and women of the world, first off, they don't pray. And secondly, if they do, as this verse says, it's for our own wills and desires. It's to get what we want. Men and women for Christ, not only do we pray, but we pray humbly. And we pray, Father, Savior, line up my, my desires and interests with yours. A man and a woman for Christ, God is not a means to an end. I always like to say this. If heaven was, you know, your your perfect house, mansion, whatever, I mean, perfect house in the perfect setting, maybe it's mountain, maybe it's uh, sea, although there's no sea in heaven, but, you know, just spectacular vista and... You know, heaven is where your sports team wins the national championship every year. And so, you know, it's just overabundance of victory. And you get to do all the fun stuff, whether it is hunting or skiing. Sorry, I'm talking, you know, dude stuff here. You women got, got other things that you like. But, you know, heaven is like all your joys, all your teams win, everything right, and God is not there. Are you good? Is that heaven for you? Like, I got that. And maybe that's what's driving you in your Christian life. A Christian man and woman prays, Hey, God, line up my will and desires with yours. Help me see, as we've sang about, open the eyes of my heart. Show me your faithfulness. And it changes our desires and our will. Again, a man for for the world moving to a man for Christ. In verse 4, this is when the rubber hits the road. This is what we call the, the conviction moment and honestly I use some pretty tough language. Look at it. You adulterous people. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Adulterers, all of us. You adulterous people. James isn't kidding here. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Now why would first off James use like sexual language here? Because he's talking about, he's saying, you have cheated on your true love. He's saying for those of us, let me include myself here again, who half the time we're in bed with God and half the time we're in bed with the world, at best, often it's like a quarter of the time or 10%, he's saying, you're cheating on God. And God's seeing it and God doesn't want that. And he's saying, again, going to worldliness, man of the world, to man of Christ... As plain, and I said James is practical, and as real, I said James is literal, friendship with the world is enmity with God. He's saying you can't, you can't roll like this, half here and half there, at best. You, you can't. Now, some of you again are saying, why, why use this, this language? Again, it's partly because God loves us so much. And we see this in verse 5. And this is a verse I actually love. It says, do you suppose it is to no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? You know, like, what does that mean? And it's showing the spiritual passion God has for his people. The love he has for you. How he wants all of you, not part of you, all of your life, everything. You know, can we say, and he wants us to say this, God, man, here's my life. I mean, just transparency. Here, Here's where I live. Here's my finances. Here's my plans. Take it. He wants that. And he wants us to be his totally and completely. Now, now, some of you here are, and I, man, I hope you're out there. Maybe you're an agnostic or even atheist. You're like, oh, that's that's so, like, below God, you know. I mean, why would God need to be jealous? Or why would God have to, like, talk in language of love and stuff like that. Man, here's the deal. I mean, it shows who God is as a relational, loving, passionate God who came to us in Jesus Christ, who is here with us now as Holy Spirit. He's not just like up, you know, highfalutin in the clouds. Uh, He's not just a presence. He's a person in Jesus who has a passion for people who wants us to be not in just a, a vague relationship, but a passionate relationship with Him, where we'll give our life to Him and give it all. Like, hey, man, here it is on the table. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God who is desiring this real, real, again, practical, literal relationship with each and every one of us. And when we stray, as we do, as I do, he didn't like it. He didn't like it. And that's what James is telling us. It's like, come back to your true love. Come back to the one who who will never forsake you. Come back and stay. Some of you probably have, have kind of gone astray. Maybe big time. Come back. Come back. Now, if we ended there, you know, it could kind of be sort of bad news. You know, we're adulterers, but you know, God loves us. Here's the thing about scripture. God never asks of something that he doesn't give us the answer. Uh, There there are no, like, cliffhangers in Scripture in the Bible. There are no, like, leave-you-hanging moments. Okay? So, James begins to give an answer. And again, we see the trajectory, the progression, if you're staying with me. A man or woman of the world moving to a man and woman for Christ. What do we do? James spells it out. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let me focus on this grace real quick. Often we think of grace as like, oh, that's forgiveness, you know, because God gives grace so he forgives us. Well, there are actually different levels of grace. There's, there is forgiving grace. Uh, there's giving grace about just all the blessings like we have in life that many of us don't even realize. I mean, being able to walk and talk and be in relationship and like be here, even if we don't know Jesus yet, that grace, there's also empowering grace. And I believe this is the grace that James is talking about here, that God, not only does He forgive us, which He does, but He empowers us by grace. He gives you the power to do this, to do this walk. He gives grace, though, to the humble, and he opposes the proud. That word oppose in the Bible, the original Greek word of it, which, which we love here, although we can't read it, but it brings out so much more meaning. That original oppose is literally like setting up a military wall. Setting up a military wall. Teaching Jack uh, this, uh, this year the Great Wall of China, which I, I'm learning a lot too the Great Wall of China. But, you know, thousands of miles long, so high, and it's opposing these barbarians that are trying to get into the country. And so God here, for those of us who are proud, he is building up this wall and he's like, man, I want nothing of that. He opposes the proud, yet gives empowering grace to the humble. To the humble. Like he will empower us to be humble. You're like, how do I be humble? It starts with God. Look into him. Verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you how do you be humble submit to God how do you meet a man for Christ a woman for Christ submit to God same thing that I said earlier hey here's my life here it is do what you want resist the devil now often many of us will say man yeah resist the devil I mean you know Satan not that good satanic stuff you know upside down stars uh, negatory not going there Many of us, though, we embrace the devil. I mean, I don't embrace that kind of stuff. We embrace greed. We embrace lust. We embrace pride. We embrace our egos. We don't resist it. And what we don't realize is again, scripture's clear, calls the devil the deceiver. So the devil's saying, hey, that pride's okay. Man, it's all about you and your ego. Yeah, go to that bar, you know, have a few drinks. It ain't going to end up anywhere bad. Yeah, get more money. Yeah, subtly manipulate that person. Embrace it. Be clear, the is clear. It's a road that leads to hell, and it's hell on earth. It's not just eternity, okay? Resist it. And James is, again, he's clear. Resist it. Resist this stuff. Submit to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Verse 8. This is for men and women of the world and men and women for Christ too. Always draw near to God. And if we go and seek, Scripture says, we will find. He will draw near to us. Maybe not in the way we planned or even wished. he He will be there. You cry out, he will answer on the altar pleading. He will answer. He is there. Verse 9, and this is uh, actually part of verse 8 too and verse 9. I want to focus on this as we're as we about to finish and close out here. It says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Um, again, aren't you glad you came to church today? Wow, just, you know, really hope-filled verses, okay? Now, now, I love this, and those of y'all who know me, instead of sometimes skipping over things that are very challenging, I mean, I, I love to just, let's move into them. Because if I were you, I would say, okay, Christianity is about joy. I mean, it is. It is about joy that, you know, we, we can't fathom or imagine in heaven, but also in this life. Joy that happens in the midst of sickness. Joy that happens in the midst of broken relationships. Joy that is very real. And we want you to know this. Life in Christ is joyful. And then you're like, whoa. But um, this is saying laughter to mourning, joy to gloom. Okay, explain that, preacher man. I think James being real. I think this is true. But it is a, it is a different type of laughing uh, a different type of joy. I think it's the joy that we think is joy. The false joy. I think it's the laughter that honestly can harm people. Uh, mocking. Uh, sarcasm. Uh, laughing at God. Uh, God, you know, I can, I can really get away with these things. Uh, you, you're not really my creator. I own my own life. It is this mocking and sarcastic sense. And we do it all the time, and I'm guilty of it. So, ask my wife. We do these things... And James is saying, now, man, turn that to to mourning. It is repentance. It is repentance. It it is saying, God, I'm sorry. And how do you go again? A man or woman of the world to a man for Christ, and we're ending in humility, but it begins in this state of repentance. And one verse that I believe really clarifies verse 9 and gives us hope it's going to be up on the screen, but I'd love for you to note this, underline this, 2 Corinthians 7.10. And this really clears it up for us, okay? 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, we automatically think of you know mourning, sorrow, the worldly grief. There's a different type of grief. And this is what Paul is saying and what James is playing on. Godly grief. Godly grief. God, I'm sorry. God, God, I repent. God, forgive me. God, help me start over. God, I hear what this dude's saying about laying on the table. Uh, help me take a step to get there. Uh, God, I need you. Uh, God, help my faith. God, we're singing about the eyes of my heart and faith. God, help me see that. And look at what this verse says. I love this verse. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, which is good news. Like saving, saving grace, joy, and without regret. And this is key for so many of y'all. So many of y'all. Because you get to the point of, hey man, I I got the salvation, I get the grace, but I still have all these regrets. I, I, I got all these regrets of, you know, pick the poison. Greed, pride, lust, whatever it is. You're struggling. I got this regret. This verse can clear it up, can clear up your life. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It's done. it's, It's a past life. You can move forward. You can move forward in your life. You can move forward in your marriage. You can move forward in your family. You can move forward as a church. You can move forward as a people. But again goes back to this progression. Man of the world, woman of the world. Moving, you have to have that moment of conviction. You have to see God as a God who desires you, who will not give up to you. And then you have to move to, hey, I will submit. Hey, I will repent. Hey, these things I thought I, that were funny were actually harmful. Uh, these things that I thought actually brought me joy brings destruction. And God, I need you and want you. And then he says, last verse, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So, you know, so many of us spend our lives trying to exalt ourselves and the key is right here. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll exalt. And he can do so much more than we could ever dream or imagine or do in our own lives. I just say three quick things and we'll close, okay? First thing is, aren't some of y'all like tired? Of the rat race. And I know you are because you've told me some of you. I mean, just like keeping up and keeping up and keeping up. Jesus says, come to you all. All who are weary, I will give you rest. I mean, don't you think it's time to, to get to that point of conviction? I mean, really time and say, man, you know, God has not been the center of my life. He, I you mean, know, I've kind of had him on the edge or on the periphery or on the margins and call him what I want. I mean, aren't you tired of the rat race? And what about the freedom? And I promise you, the joy it brings, say, God, I'm going to give it to you. Just give it all to you. I don't know where it'll lead. It may, may lead to a new job. It may need, lead to a new country. It may lead to new relationships. It probably will lead to new relationships. But God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. Aren't you tired of the rat race? Last thing I'd say your greatest joys. And your greatest adventures lie behind your greatest fear. Let me say that again. Your greatest joys and your greatest adventure lie behind your greatest fear. Because your greatest fear is giving your life away. Because we want to cling to it. It's it's mine. It's ours. Then you're going to miss out on the greatest joy and adventure of your life. Giving away to Jesus and seeing what he has to offer for your life. For your marriages. For your families. For this church. Listen to James. He's our teacher today. See the progression. Walk in it as men and women of the world. And I used to really admire that phrase, want to be a man of the world, to a man and woman for Christ. And it begins with humility that God gives, and he'll exalt you. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us to walk in this way. Not for us, not to be like cultivated sophisticated, worldly people with the things and the relationships. Help us to see with the eyes of our heart and see what you're saying to us in Scripture, that this truly is is joy. And it does begin with humility, and it does begin with repentance, but there's no regrets. And there is exaltation of our lives when we humble ourselves. And that's because... You sent your son who humbled himself just by coming to be with us on earth and then dying, and you exalted him. And when we believe in him and trust in him, you will exalt us. May that happen today uh, for people here. In Jesus' name, amen.